0: 1 Peter chapter 1 If you invoke as Father the one who judge all people impartially according to their deeds live in reverent fear during the time of your exile you know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors not with perishable things like silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish he was destined before the foundation of the world but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake Through him you have come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Let's have a moment of prayer. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that as we hear your word for us this day, as we dive into this uh, word from a disciple, that we would dive deeply into your understanding, that your kingdom, your gracious living hope that is offered to us each and every day. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You know, uh, there, there are times that I wish that I paid a little bit more attention when I was in college in seminary. I don't think any of us would fault us. There's something different from uh, being forced to learn. Well, actually, it's funny because in seminary I was never forced. I actually had to make the decision to go there. But there's something different to sitting in a classroom feeling like you're being forced to learn to having the opportunity now as an adult to go back and to relearn a lot of the lessons to go back and listen to many of the lectures from my seminary days to go back and to read many of the books that I read back then and whether it's uh, the whether it's the second time that I've gone through them and so I'm picking out new information from all of this stuff or whether it seems new and I'm so uh, delighted to be diving into it in a new way with new wisdom from now almost 10 years of ministry, I begin to see and gain new insight and knowledge. And, and one of the books that I pulled out recently, I, well, I pulled it up because most of my books are digital because I am a millennial after all, and you know, things that are real and tangible don't make sense to me. <laughs> But I pulled up this book by, uh, by a saint of the Catholic Church, Oscar Romero. He was the Archbishop of San Salvador and El Salvador. And he was um, martyred while, while presiding at the communion table. And he is the, one of the forefathers of this ideology that is known as liberation theology. And it's this idea of God's work in liberating the oppressed, the suffering, doing this work. And that it is our call as the church to do this work. And he writes in this book, um, and, and whether we often agree with the language that is often used, the book is called The Violence of Love. And he defines it and he says, we have never preached violence except the violence of love, which left Christ nailed to a cross. The violence that we must each do to ourselves to overcome our selfishness and such cruel inequalities among us. The violence we preach is not a violence of sword, the violence of hatred. It is the violence of love, of brotherhood, the violence that wills to beat weapons into sickles for work. And, and I appreciate this sort of understanding because oftentimes we can get so lost in that understanding of what it means to love, that we forget what is at the nature of the love to begin with. Now, many of us may get uncomfortable with the violence of love, right? We may get uncomfortable with that terminology. And I remember the first time reading that squirming a little bit in my chair. But as I continued to read about this notion of what it looks like to live out our nature of faith in this state of love and grace, it often does look like we're trying to beat people over the head with it. Not even in a bad way, it just it looks like it looks like that because love is the very nature by which we live. It's the very nature by which we are guided towards living our faith. And so it would make sense that love is the very thing that we do in all times and in all places. And so were we to compare it to something else in our lives, say war, where we try and beat ideologies onto people, maybe when we bring this ideology of love into the scenario, we begin to think of how can we retort against the violences of the world, but with love. You see, it's important when we look at God's work within the world, when we look at this nature of who Christ is for us, that we begin to understand it in the work that God is calling us to do. The work that we live into in our ever enduring lives, not just our own lives, but in the life of the church, in the life of the kingdom. Right. Romero worked and testified against a government that oppressed, that silenced the poor, that took advantage of the poor. And as he lived and worked around in his community, he saw the effects that this had on people. And the only thing that he could consider doing is finding a way to bring the poor up. To fight against oppressive systems. To bring about this understanding of love. And so we are here in this time of Easter where we look and we see the ultimate act of love that we could ever consider having received from our gracious, grateful, awesome God. We look at a God who died on the cross so that we could understand, so that we could see the depth of what love could truly do. And so here in this Easter time, we dive into this nature of a living hope, a living hope that brings us into each and every day looking anew at who we are called to be. And so we start with Easter Sunday, the basic tenet of our faith, the basic understanding of our faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if we believe that, then it is by his example that we live our lives. And then it's by his death and resurrection that we witness and know truly how amazing God is. Right? And so we started last week. Uh, Reverend John Chapel came in and preached for me. And he talked about this living hope. He introduced us to, to this book of 1 Peter. He brought us into it. And he talked about this nature of joy. Right? And this inward joy that we experience. And what it means to be filled with it. Deep within our lives. And it was a very inward understanding of how Christ works within us. And yet... The love of God does not stop there. The love of God does not stop with the joy that fills us because we recognize that in being filled with the joy of God, it transforms us. And we read today about new birth. And so we look and we see the way and nature that God calls us into this inherent freedom. And there's this nature of freedom that is expressed within this ideal of a living hope, but oftentimes I think we can misplace that understanding of freedom because we try and read into it selfishly. We experience that joy, and we experience it within ourselves, and then we try and hold that joy in. It's it's for us. Or it must be experienced in this very specific way. But you see, the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have in God is communal. It's for all of us to experience. It's for all of us to know and to understand. Christ died for all of us, and we are free because Christ sacrificed for all of us Not just people we agree with, not just people who look like us, not just people we think that deserve God, not just people that we think who are willing to behave for God, but Christ died so that all could be free, so that all could hear, know, and understand the message of love that Christ had for us. The ideal of a living hope that we were introduced to last week fills us with this joy, and then in being filled with that joy, we are called into that manner of kingdom living to go and to serve and to live. Right? If we live and we experience the freedom of Christ, then why not for others too? And so, as we are working our way through this redemptive work of God and we are beginning to understand what it means to live into this living hope, it's in this very nature of God's work in and through us, continuing the work that Christ started. And so we see the writer here in 1 Peter is beginning to put these pieces in place. right? Not only do we look to God for guidance, but we begin to understand the role that we then play in that faith as well. And these are not thoughts that begin with Peter. Because, because if we look here in 1 Peter and we begin to see where Peter's going, Peter's not saying anything that hasn't actually been said before. And it's not even that he's saying things that Jesus told him, but he's deeply embedding part of their Jewish understanding, the very way in nature that they have understood God for their entire lives, right? We remember that they're taking in this, this Judaic understanding. We meet God in the old Testament. We meet God in the Hebrew scriptures, just as we know. And we meet God in the new Testament. And so one of the passages that was paired with this verse from first or from these verses from first Peter was Psalm 116, where we hear, oh, Lord, I am your servant, the child of your serving girl. You have loosed my bonds. Right. And so we begin to see this nature of freedom is that in God, we are released from our own oppression, from the way in which we oppress ourselves in this nature, right? We oppress ourselves by thinking ourselves unworthy, by deeming us sinful people. And God comes in and he says, no, you are perfect just the way that I created you. You are beloved, right? The same words that God uses to call Christ are the same words that God uses to call each and every one of us in our baptism. And so we live and exist in this world where we don't have to live by the bondage of thinking that we are unworthy. We don't have to live by the bondage of thinking that we are sinful. We don't have to live in the bondage of thinking that we are evil because we look, know, and understand that in God's love for each and every one of us that we can live into and be the people that God calls us to be, right? Here in the Methodist church, we call that sanctification, being sanctified in god's grace ever more growing learning and maturing in who god calls us to be and so the more that we learn and grow and mature the less we rely on the sins and the evils of the world to dictate who we think we need to be and so peter comes in here and he begins to say you know that you were ransomed from the futile conduct inherited from your ancestors Right? You were ransomed, not from the perishable things. You don't have those perishable things anymore like silver and gold, right? I mean, the IRS tells me that money matters, but, you know, sometimes I wish it didn't. Right? We are not defined by our perishable things, but friends, we are defined by the act of Christ dying and resurrecting. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish, we are offered freedom in Christ, in our belief in Christ, and in the nature that we live in Christ's example. Freedom frees us from these selfish natures of who we think we need to be to please other people in society. And freedom offers us the opportunity to live in God's grace. To recognize pain, harm, harm. Suffering oppression in this world and to work not for the selfish endeavors of humans, but for the endeavors of the kingdom of God that call us to love and exist together as a community. Right. And this is why this is why the writer here continues on and says, now that you have purified your souls. Right. Let's talk about that word purified for a second, because I think we may get a little lost in translation here. We might think we might look here and think purified. I need to be perfect in order to do this work. No friends. We just need to have the love of God embedded within us. You see, just like in our baptismal covenant, we are washed clean of who we think the world needs to be. And we bring in and understand and acknowledge the love of God that is there. And we commit and covenant with God to work in this nature, to continue to learn and grow in that nature. We have been purified. God has looked upon us and God knows that we are all now working towards the same goal. We have repented and turned, so that we are facing in the direction working towards god so friends in that we are purified and so now that we have purified our souls now that we have acknowledged the god that love has for us now that we have acknowledged the work that we are called to do in god's name what does peter say here he says by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual affection love one another deeply from your heart And then he says, live into that new birth. Live into that new birth. Because it's in that new birth that God continues to work. Not just in your life, but in the life of creation. In the life of the kingdom. It's in that work that God continues to do things. And we continue to see, this is not a physical rebirth, right? Uh, you know, we, we, we covered this with Nicodemus. Right? We're not going back into our mother's womb and being reborn. No, this is a spiritual rebirth. This is a spiritual rebirth where our mind is reborn into a new understanding of what it means to be. It is uncovered who we were meant to be, who we were created in. This freedom that is experienced is not done through any sort of punishment on Christ, on us. This freedom is offered out of love. Something that we often try to turn into violence is something that is a loving act. Christ is not sacrificed on the cross. Christ gives on the cross. Christ shows on the cross, and Christ offers in the resurrection an understanding of who each and every one of us are called to be. If Christ is Lord, if Christ is God, then we look at this way, we look at this understanding, and we begin to unpack for ourselves what was God trying to show us by coming down, by being one of us, by putting on this this skin, by taking a form, by being one of us, by allowing themselves to be killed on a cross. God was trying to show us, help us to understand that we are free when all are free. That freedom from persecution, freedom from hatred, freedom from judgment, freedom from suffering. These are the things that we are called towards because what guides our living here on earth in the name of God, genuine mutual affection, loving deeply one another. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. If we become so selfish that we think it is our way or no way, we cannot do that if we are so caught up in our own egos that we lose sight of the true hurt and pain that is existing in our world. right? This is why I often say, I mean... You may not like it, but the Bible is inherently a political document. Jesus is inherently a political figure. Why? Because he is going so in contrast to the leaders of his day. Right? We talk about Pax Romana. We talked about the peace of Rome. The peace of Rome is achieved by Rome just going into a city, attacking the people and saying, we own you now. The peace of Christ is Jesus going into a city and saying, y'all are free. Love one another. I don't own you. You don't own each other. And the chains that are broken are this idea that we think we need to captivate one another. The Judeans spent their lives trying to get freedom. They wanted freedom from the Babylonians. They wanted freedom from the Assyrians. They wanted freedom from the Romans. But what they didn't realize the entire time, they had always been free. They had always had freedom. They had always had God's love within them. They wanted a warrior leader. They wanted someone to overthrow the Roman Empire. And what they got was a savior who walked around villages preaching about the kingdom and ultimately someone who ended up getting killed. Not even trying to get out of it. Not even trying to get off the cross. Because Jesus understood. Jesus knew that it was through his witness, his ministry. Freedom for us is meant to be freedom for all, not at the expense of others. We're left to consider the role that we are called to play in this. This is our understanding of faith. If we're gonna come at it and we're gonna open a book like First Peter and we're gonna, we're gonna take it seriously and, and hear the way that God is talking through this servant that wrote down these words thousands of years ago and we're gonna try and understand the message and the gospel that is coming from this place and we look and we hear from, from Reverend John last week, we hear him talk about this joy that fills us up the nature of Christ working within our lives, being filled with this living hope, this ever-enduring hope, then the nature of that living hope must also lead us to go into to live in this world, to do that work that God calls us to do. The good news for us cannot be bad news for others. The good news for us has to be good news for others because if the good news for us is love, then the good news for others has to be love. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't really feel love when people are shouting at me, when people are condemning me, when people are holding guns at our heads, when, when people are threatening us. I don't feel loved. And so why should we think that we should love that way either? The nature in which we live into God's kingdom is this true hope of salvation for the world. Um, is that evil, injustice, oppression, all of those things would, would be gone and that the love of Christ would reign. And so where is Christ calling you beyond yourself? Right. And we start by recognizing the nature in which Christ has loosened our own chains. What has Christ done in our lives that calls us to be better people? And how has Christ opened our eyes to the work that is being done across creation? I often love to tell people: it's Christ's work. Right? We don't, we don't have works righteousness, right? We're not made perfect by our works. It's Christ's work. But friends, we still have a role to play in it. Amen?